Welcome to today's webinar. My name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the Chief Metaverse Officer of Cybergear, a digital agency based in Dubai. And I'm also the founder of onlywebinars.com, where we host webinars such as these. Incidentally, this is our 70th webinar in the last two years. And I'm happy that we've been bringing topics uh, you know, relevant to you, such as covering all Web3, metaverse, tokenization, DAOs, community building, artificial intelligence, and everything else. So today, uh, we are going to be discussing another very interesting topic, which has never been discussed before, by the way, because I did a lot of research on the internet and did not find uh, any discussions around metaverse of senses. So I thought this is a great opportunity because um, clearly the metaverse adoption is going to happen when people build around the utility. And uh, days of that hype are over and customers are looking for ROI, ROE, return on engagement, and some real benefits. So metaverse of senses, in my opinion, offers just that. And that's the reason we chose this topic. Uh, before we get started uh, with today's webinar, I'm going to welcome my awesome panelists who are coming in from the UK and from Italy. Uh, so uh, I will request each one of the panelists to do their own introductions in two minutes each, please. And then we'll uh, get started. So I'll go to the lady in the room, Beth, you are on first. Amazing. Thanks so much for firstly inviting me to speak in this webinar. I'm really excited. Also, um, senses and virtual senses are um, something I really love to kind of explore because it's really, as we'll find out later, it's, it's a challenging topic, right? Uh, but I am a senior marketing manager at a virtual store and virtual experience creation firm called Imperia. Um, we effectively create these virtual experiences for retailers, e-commerce brands across the world. Um, some of the largest we've done recently include Tommy Hilfiger and Lacoste with uh, varying aims, to be honest, depending on um, what the, the brand is looking to achieve, whether they're looking to create a community, whether they're looking to, to launch a product or just heighten engagement. Um, but I guess aside from my day job, I am a bit of a, a Web3 AR, VR enthusiast. Um, I test out filter, AR filters, virtual experiences, share tips and tricks to aim, aimed at e-commerce leaders, at how they can create a more engaging customer experience for their customers. Um, but I am quite... Um, in in the know, I'd say, on new launches in the metaverse. So in my uh, LinkedIn posts, I talk about the pros, don't talk about the cons as cons, but I look at where a brand, what they could do in B2, that type of thing, so that, um, you know, you never know who you could be working with one day. Um, but yeah, absolutely love everything innovation related. I think the virtual world is where where we're going where everything's going. Um, and it's great to be a part of, of the start of it, I guess. But yeah, thanks for having me on today. Really excited. to. Yeah. Thanks, Beth. And uh, I follow you on LinkedIn all the time. So thank you for putting out uh, good information uh, for, for all our viewers. I'm sure most of them already follow you. Uh, I'm going to go to Joao. Joao, on your LinkedIn uh, profile, I saw you describe yourself as the wearables expert. And uh, that's how I reached out to you. And also something caught my attention. In your profile, you said, I am special 
and so are you. Mm -hmm. I like that. Go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Brilliant. Um, Shara, thank you so much for inviting me and also brilliant to be here with Alistair, David and Beth. Delighted to be here. João Bocas, also Aka, as you know, the wearables expert. I'm a Portuguese national. I consider myself a global citizen based in UK for the last 21 years. And I have a few uh, strings to my bone, if you like. My, my industry is healthcare, but I'm very passionate about wearables. If you see my workstation at home, it's full of wearables. I test things. I'm not a technologist as such, but I'm very passionate about, I have two passions, health and sport. And I was in professional sport for a number of years. And then the last 20 years, I've been in healthcare. And the last seven, eight years, I've been heavily involved in digital health. Also, back in 2015, I call myself a digital health influencer. And people used to ask me, what does that mean, influencer? Now, is influencing is an industry in its own right. Back then, it was a bit of like... A, uh, yeah, it was a strange word. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Also, I talk and share content, create content, help brands. I'm also the CEO of Digital Salutum, which is a digital health global consultancy helping healthcare organizations to access, rapidly access the global healthcare industry through my networks. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And I'm delighted to be here, share some insights with you and collaborate with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. We are we are going to Netherlands and we're going to talk to David. Hello. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, so yeah, my name is David. I'm from originally from the UK, but uh, I actually live in the Netherlands and I work for SenseGlove. I'm the head of business development. I'm not sure I would actually call myself a haptics expert. There's other people in our company that probably know far more about haptics than I do. Uh, I guess I'm the expert at conveying the message uh, to our customers. Um, yeah, uh, what does Sense Glove do? We have a, a haptic glove. That you, don't know if you can see that here. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later, uh, where you can uh, feel things inside virtual reality. Uh, we do that with force feedback and vibrotactile feedback. And uh, yeah, uh, it's basically it. Right. I'll keep it nice and short. Yeah, thanks, David. And if I were to tell you, audience, that very soon you will be able to smell coffee in the metaverse, uh, you're going to say seriously? And the answer is yes, because we have Alistair in the room, and Alistair is coming in from Milan, and he's going to introduce himself and later talk about how it will be possible to smell stuff in the metaverse for real. So Alistair, your intro, please. Yeah, first and foremost, thanks, Charlotte, for uh, creating this first conversation around the metaverse of senses and be always on point. Um, I'm Alistair, a human being for 21 years, co-founder and CTO at Auralink. And this is a journey towards awareness, which is the yardstick of consciousness, to be able to recompose the shutter who what been broken before now. Thanks, Alistair. And audience, I met Alistair last year during NFT London. Um, clearly Gen Z. He was then 20-something. And he just blew my brains because everything he spoke was overhead transmission. I understood precisely nothing, but knew enough that this is a guy I have to keep in touch with. So I've been tracking him. I brought him to Dubai also a couple of times. And we are looking for funding. So if any VCs are in the room, 
listen to Alistair today on what he is building. And this is a good time to collaborate with Alistair. So, okay, uh, we've done the introductions. We are going to get down to the topic on hand. I'm going to go to Beth first. Beth, there's a lot of jargon in our industry, right? In Web3, Metaverse, like for Web3 as an example, my company has created a guide of all the gobbledygook, all the jargon explained in simple layman terms. And audience, you can download it for free at cyber-gear.io. We update it every quarter, more than 200 terms explained. And in this industry, I say it very often, is moving at the speed of thought. You blink and you miss it. You cannot be on vacation. You cannot take a sabbatical. You have to be always on 24 by seven because new stuff is coming out all the time. So Beth, there is a question from the audience uh, which came to me via email. And this person wants to know what's the difference between AR, VR and XR. So in layman terms, can you explain that please before we get started? You're on mute. Sorry, I didn't click unmute, but it didn't, I must not work. Um, so AR stands for augmented reality. So bringing, um, I guess Snapchat is a good example of augmented reality type filters. So imagine um, looking at your camera and taking a photo of yourself with sunglasses on that have been put into, I guess, your vision through the phone. Um, something that that fakes reality, but it, it appears as though it's in your in your house or in front of you, that type of thing. Um, Pokemon Go is another good example of of some really good augmented reality back in the day. Um, VR stands for virtual reality, so that's the that's what we're going to be talking about today, pretty much. Um, virtual reality, like the metaverse, um, virtual world, so Decentraland, um, sandbox, those type of things. But I guess a world that exists on your on a device. So something inside your mobile or something inside a headset, VR set, um, life that kind of simulates real life but isn't. Um, MR stands for mixed reality, so a combination of them all. And XR stands for the whole jargon, anything that's a reality that's not our true reality. Is, right, cool. Do you? Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's pretty straightforward actually. Um, so uh, my next question again to you, Beth, in terms of, let's say, the fashion industry, which, which is the brand that stands out for you in terms of, let's say, using AR and getting traction from audience? So I'm, I'm going to give you two. Sure. Um, two big players in the sport, sport world, but Nike and Adidas, Adidas, how do you say it, um, are both, well, firstly, massive firms. So I guess they can afford to experiment. So I've already done a lot of the space. But I'll start with Adidas. So um, I think they are they are winning the game here. They've got AR filters that allow you to virtually try on products in a very realistic way. I, I come across a lot of VTO virtual try on um, that's that's pretty terrible. It's it's very difficult to actually simulate a an item of clothing on your body in a realistic way that's virtual. So imagine you're um, standing in front of a screen and it is placing items onto you so you can virtually see what they'd look like. Now, how do you know? Firstly, that computer doesn't know what, what, what your actual shape and size is. 
they don't know the stretch of the fabric. How can you simulate that stretch of the fabric around the body? It's very tricky. Now, Adidas have done a very good like example of this with shoes. So if you go onto the app, you download it onto your mobile, um, it, you can virtually try on trainers. And I think it's the most realistic form of AR I've seen for, for VTO. Um, I think that for clothing, there's, there's still a little bit of way to go, but that's the same with, with pretty much every brand out there. Um, Nike have also, uh, sorry, Adidas have also got some more kind of immersive, immersive virtual, virtual worlds through Snapchat. I'll come on to their ALTS community in a second, but they've, um, they're obviously trying to educate their, their fans, their users about virtual reality, augmented reality, what it, what's capable of providing. And they have launched, recently launched uh, Indigo, uh, or in, Indigo, some Indigo collection. Um, if you Google it, you will find it. And they have, as with many companies, you launch a campaign, you launch a lot of different pieces of tech to, to accompany it. And they have a, a quite a big filter on their Instagram, a really, a, a really good one, Instagram and Snapchat, I think. And you can effectively walk into a virtual space. So imagine the metaverse, but you can, through your phone, walk into this space, right? You, you've got things, you've got a palm tree popping up, you've got shoes, you've got clothes, you can tap on these clothes and they'll spin them, you can spin them around. Um, so moving on to Nike, I think they've also done a, an incredible job. They not only have done many augmented reality type campaigns, which I'd have said is web two and a half. I, do, I wouldn't have said it. it's not web three, but it's, I guess it's bridging the gap and bringing people over. Um, they have done virtual spaces, Nike land. I believe it was in Decentraland last year. Um, and I guess the, the aims of these experiences are to create a more engaging experience for their customer. They're going to create more memorable um, shopping experiences or explore kind of exploratory features. Um, they, yeah, so one example I want to use is that that VTO from Adidas. So if someone goes into the app and they're looking for a pair of trainers, you can choose a, let's just say there's some black, black shoes that I'd like to buy. I'm torn between two. Now I can direct these onto my feet and um, can I view them in a mirror, how they, how, how they look on. I can view them you know, almost looking down at my feet. I can see pretty, a pretty, I've got a pretty good understanding of what they'll look like, but I can also see the product in 3D. I can have it in front of me in through a phone or on the phone. So in AR or, or on my phone in the metaverse, let's say, spin it around, view it from every angle. I can get a good feel for the space. I can get a good feel for the materials, the colors, um, what the patterns on the base look like. Not that that not that anyone chooses the shoe based on what's on the bottom, but you catch my drift here. Um, and it's enhancing that product discovery phase. And if you can enhance that product discovery phase and help customers make a more informed product choice, not purchase decision, they are more likely to, to get a, a more suited product, like a they're going to be more satisfied with that product because it matches their needs better. They are going to talk about that experience. They're going to come back because they love it. And it's, I guess, a way of creating far more loyalty as well. Like people are going to be far more satisfied because you helped that you aided their customer journey and helped them make the right purchase decision. But they're also, it's going to work in your favor as well because they're going to share the experience with friends. They're going to come back because they had a good shopping experience. Um, and I guess all round, everyone's really happy. Um, so those are, I guess, 
my top players in the kind of fashion retail game right now. Yeah, thanks, Beth, for that uh, overview. I agree with you. While some brands are still, you know, sitting on the fence, I think the ones that have taken the lead have got all the learnings in place. They've got their community going. So um, it's in the interest of brands to get started ASAP, you know, rather than keep uh, waiting for the right time. So, yeah, so let's go to Joao. Joao, can you uh, help us with defining wearables first and then talk to us a little bit about the industry size and the trends, if you may. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so wearable is anything that, in terms of wearable technology, because in here we're addressing uh, technology, anything that uh, is a piece of innovation that can be worn and uh, is got some innovation embedded, if you like. So the traditional wearables that we know by now is the, the, the first Fitbit back in 2011 was a big revolution, but things have really came a long way now. It's not just about smartwatches and fitness bands anymore. And uh, Apple and um, we see now Samsung and Huawei, big brands are innovating around wearables and the growth is exponentially. I'll give you a quick start. The adult population in USA is about 30% of the adult population has a wearable. So the consumer market is highly competitive and people are actually um, very interested in their health. You know, and, and the, I think the COVID and the pandemic really pushed this agenda forward, brought more awareness around what's really important in our lives, which is our well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being. And certainly wearables in health are very prominent. And I am in healthcare, but also wearables have a true potential to um, make an impact. I, I have a, a tagline when I do keynotes around the world that is wearables can change the world whether there is in fashion tech, um, now we see wearables in fintech. I'm, I'm very um, passionate about wearables. Personally, now I have a, a watch that I love. I don't have a smart watch, but I have a, a ring, a smart ring. But I also have a ring that is a, a kind of a, wear, is a wearable that is only for payments, as if it was like a credit card. So you, don't, you, you can leave your wallet at home and just walk out with the ring. And this is your contactless device, if you like. So things have moved forward. But I want to touch on a couple of uh, trends. And I already mentioned smart rings, um, um, smart belts. Uh, Beth mentioned the, the fashion industry, smart shoes. I believe those big brands that you mentioned, uh, Beth, are also innovating on the background around smart shoes, smart belts. Anything where you can imagine the sensing technologies can go because the sensing technologies are very advanced. It's not just about the fitness track on your wrist. Things are actually, I believe that in five, six years time, the fitness bands would become obsolete because we'll see the, we'll see the senses around our body. We even push the agenda forward and talk about embeddables, ingestibles and implantables, which is a revolution. In Sweden, for example, They've done a 3,000 people uh, study with a very small implantable with the size of a grain of rice embedded in our um, uh, skin. And that could be used as a gym key, office key, 
health uh, uh, EMR, the, the registration of health data. So anyway, the revolution is really underway. So wearables is a very exciting industry as we see now. And um, yeah, and I believe they can really make a huge impact in terms of uh, addressing health issues, but also even having fun, fashion, wear, fashion wearables, which also the brands are comp competing now when they are manufacturing around making the wearables more sexy with new designs, colors, making them smaller, making them gathered to different tastes and different um, types of audiences. So yeah, exciting times ahead. Yeah, thanks, Jacques. Talking of making wearables sexy, I was in South Africa last month on a holiday, happened to go on a golfing holiday, uh, bought a golf shoe, which has a chip Im embedded in the shoe. Every time I hit the ball, it tells me on my Apple Watch, what distance did the ball go? Can you believe it? And it also massages my feet when I walk. So I played 36 holes and was not tired at all. So this is technology in a shoe. And that's just by the way. Let's go to David. David, talk to us about what you are up to. Well, first of all, I think I want a pair of those shoes. Uh, you might have to tell me where you got those from because they sound uh, extremely cool. Um, but yeah, so as I said, I work for Sense Love. This is uh, the freaky looking uh, haptic glove that I've got on my hand. Um, so basically, um, yeah, Sense Love was created so people uh, can eventually feel inside virtual reality because one of the biggest things uh, people were saying is that virtual reality is really cool, but I don't want to be holding a controller because that ruins the immersion, that ruins how realistic it is, and yeah, breaks uh, yeah, breaks the reality, so to speak. Um, so SenseLove has been creating these haptic gloves. This is called the SenseLove Nova. This is our kind of first commercial product that really took off. Um, and actually today, I don't know if anybody saw it on LinkedIn, but we've just announced the Nova 2. Um, I can actually put a, um, a link in the chat if you want to check out the video just there. Uh, it's a completely new revolution uh, in terms of a new type of feedback that we have on the palm of the hand. If you check out the video, um, you can see it. Um, but yeah, feel free if you have any questions about haptics or anything uh, you want to know about SenseLove, I'm happy to answer. Yeah, David, I have just a couple of questions. Uh, yeah. One, uh, what is the retail price uh, of the Sense Glove, and mm. what all can it do? So the retail price of the Nova, the, the Nova One, uh, is now four thousand euros. Um, it's we've dropped the price due to the new release of the Nova Two. Um, so what you get uh, with our technology is force feedback. So inside the glove we have uh, magnetic friction brakes, uh, and I don't know if you can see there's strings here. I can just turn off the blur very quickly, and then you can get a better view of it. We have strings that basically run into the back of the glove and run down the finger like tendons or ligaments and inside the the here you have a braking system so when you go to grab a virtual object as soon as you grab the virtual object the braking system kicks in and we restrict your fingers from pulling through an object and that gives the illusion that you're holding something in your hand when realistically there's nothing there in in virtual reality or or reality and then we add small vibrations to the fingertips, and then we have a larger vibration here. Um, and again, 
all of those small cues when you pick something up when you're interacting with a drill or anything uh, you can make it vibrate and you can feel a rough density and hardness to the objects wow that's very interesting and uh, david there's a question uh for you in the chat from one of the meta shapers, uh, yeah. Maria, she wants to know how accurate is the experience of feeling the texture of the fabric? Yeah, so that's, that, yeah, that's that's one of the feedbacks that we actually don't do. Um, it's actually one of the hardest things to uh, replicate. Um, that I don't even think there is any haptic company that is doing like textural feedback so you can't tell the difference between you know a smooth surface of a plastic bottle or the fabric of clothing i think the closest company that does something similar to that is haptex with microfluid technology where they blow uh, air bubbles into the 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 fingertips in the palm the only way you could add any kind of um yeah yeah fabric feeling would be to send small vibrations to the fingertips and then yeah maybe adjust them to kind of feel like a fabric but we're I think we're quite a way away from that to be honest with you but as you said the technology moves very quickly so when I say we're quite far away that could be like two years right no great thanks for those insights let's bounce to Alistair Alistair please share with us um the latest situation in terms of what you're doing well yeah um I our link, we are developing the digital fashion language that's through a non-invasive neurotech device that you can wear as a circlet. You can capture, analyzing, and transmit, share bio and neuro data related to words of science. But um, I would like to have a step back and try to make reflecting people upon this. Like we live in a time where our digital engagements are predominantly boxed in a rectangular screen glass. So uh, why should we limit ourselves to this constrained form of sensory experiences awaits our exploration? Like I prefer not talking about metaverse, but more about uh, the post-smartphone era that it's a time that foresees a screenless future that is the real limit from now to not being escaping wearing bulky assets in a virtual world, but using ambient computing, augmented reality, and spatial audio and other sense-enabling technology to actually surrounding our environment with safe, essential, appealing, useful information and different way to actually communicate our states of mind. So this perspective is not only, is not only harmonized with our innate human capabilities, but also resonates with the natural cadences of our environment and living worlds. Like um, there be facing the importance of symbiotic relationship with humanity, technology, nature, and animal kingdom. And this is not just a lofty uh, aspiration or another Black Mirror episode. It's real things that we can build 
with the tools that we have in our hands, everyone can actually do it without a PhD, building a neural network or uh, augmented reality experiences to being truth a thoughtful journey to discovery and sculpting digital future that's really recognize values, embrace, amplifies our natural world and our pivotal part within. So yeah, that's is the main uh, concept behind uh, trying to push really the boundaries in something that you recognize is not inside screen or boxes or something that you need to attach to your eyes. The things to discover is really a part our body, our senses that are already the interface that we, when we born, we used to know and live in the environment, communicate not just with other humans, but with animals, plants, and nature. It's the real connection that could open door in really vast application and reconsidering the way that we actually leave the world. Yeah, that's... Yeah, the, thanks, Alistair. Also, talk to us a little bit about what you showed me in Dubai, where you have this apparatus that you built, where uh, I actually took uh, Alistair to Costa Coffee. And when we ordered coffee, he put this device on top of coffee and on the digital screen, it said coffee through smell. Then I ordered orange juice and it said orange juice. It was almost like magic happening. So uh, can you, uh, so he's not looking at commercializing this and selling more McDonald's burgers. Uh, Alistair has healthcare in mind because doctors with 90% accuracy can remotely predict the state of our organs. Every organ in our body emits a particular kind of smell, be it kidney, liver, whatever. So it has huge, uh, you know, upside and opportunities in what he's doing. Uh, Alistair, can you in like just one minute or one and a half minute, explain the metaverse of smell that you're working on? Yes. When we are thinking and see about smells, odors, odorant molecules, you can see it as the nature show to you. So as chemical structure and analyzing that uh, correlated to uh, metabolism behavior and other factors, you can extract powerful features in understanding deeply what's going on in that human body, in that uh, uh, bottle of honey, and in that plants, in that soil as well. So, but in the other way, you can see how this chemical structure, habits, and pattern inside our olfactory neuron. So split and converging at some point, the technological perspective, research and developing on this size to make it actually combine it in, in one. It's the real cutting edge approach to the words of psychochemical informatics and uh, to try to see from this pr different perspective, uh, something that have been always part of our lives, but have been quite underestimated. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and just for our audience, we are putting together a mentorship group for Alistair because he is, he's only 21. 
very uh, mature for his age, I must say, when you meet him in real life, uh, you will figure that out. So we are putting together a group of professors uh, from Stanford, from Harvard, uh, think tank, if you may, who can work with Alistair and you know make uh, this technology real and go to market in quick time. A lot of it is under wraps, so we can't talk about it in public domain. But Alistair, can you please share the link for Aura Link so people who are interested can look at your presentation and reach out to you uh, directly? Okay, great. Uh, so let me now uh, go back to each one of you. Um, one, I don't know, question or concern I have is that when Metaverse conversations were going on last year, rather cruising along, uh, everybody was, you know, talking about mass adoption happening and a lot of numbers were being thrown about. Then suddenly generative AI came onto the scene, right, few months back. And then all conversations went towards AI. So my question to you is, and maybe I asked Beth this first, uh, is AI hijacking uh, the metaverse or Web3 in many ways? Because in my opinion, AI is going to boost uh, the metaverse activities in terms of using smart technology and smart programming to enable people to onboard into the metaverse. So what are you hearing from audiences? Because when I go to meet a customer about metaverse, he says, no, talk to me about AI first. So are you hearing that in the market as well? I would have definitely said that AI is giving the metaverse a boost. I'd have said even I would have said even AR is giving the metaverse and Web3 a boost. I think, well, as you mentioned at the start, a lot of the terminology being thrown around, even, even the what the simpler ones like AR, XR, uh, MR, VR, um, it's all to do with the way we're we're talking about it to the masses. So right now the the lingo around AI metaverse um is all Yes, it's confusing for many, um, but I think it's also helping people understand that it's it's all the next wave of tech. Like it's not nothing comes in silo, right? It's AI help build the metaverse, and the metaverse is helping raise awareness of artificial intelligence. Um, I'd have I'd have said that most clients I speak to aren't actually asking about AI. Well, they are in. It, they're asking how we use AI as a company. And most of the time we, we, we respond by saying, you know, we use AI in the design work. That's where it kind of fits in. Um, I mean, I'm a, a bit of a sucker for chat GPT occasionally for idea generation, not for writing things, but, but more the idea generation. Um, no, I, I wouldn't have said AI is, is um, slowing the metaverse growth. I, I would have said, if anything, it's helping it. But there's a lot of people that just don't understand. And it's that educational factor that we are we are missing. I almost say it's on brands. So brands and their audiences to, to kind of teach teach about it. So like the like Nike and Adidas, as I mentioned earlier, um, along with many other companies that are adopting Web3 strategies, they are educating their users on it. And that is how at the moment we're educating people. Because right now people don't want to go out of their way to learn. They need the the kind of their favorite brands and stuff to to actually be educating them in just their kind of day to day um, 
offering. So yeah, I, I, I to answer your question in short, I don't think it's um, inhibiting growth of the metaverse. I think if anything, it's aiding it. But I, I still think there's masses of work to be done in terms of for, before we get to, to kind of mass adoption. Yeah, thanks. And in the chat, my good friend Martha Bockenfeld from Switzerland says, AI is the soul of the metaverse. Uh, I, I tend to second that. Thanks, Martha, for those uh, comments. Uh, Joao, uh, talk to me, please, a little bit. Rather, talk to us about uh, mass adoption in your industry. I mean, are there any challenges you are facing? What is the growth? How is wearables doing as an industry? Sure. Yeah, uh, specific in, in, in healthcare. I mean, I do agree with uh, Beth and um, AI as we see it now. First of all, was a big hype around AI for a long time. And finally, I think we found some maturity because the application of AI now is actually happening with ChatGPT and the healthcare industry. And I personally wrote a book chapter for a publication that my vision is that the combination of artificial intelligence and wearables will be the game changer in healthcare. But going to the wearables, in terms of the industry, wearables, I think we're falling behind because we're not fully, for one reason or another, we don't, we're not fully embrace wearables because um, organizations are very skeptical about change, about risk, about healthcare is a very conservative industry, similar to, for example, the insurance industry. It takes a long time to make changes. Also, the complexity. Um, wearables bring another layer of complexity to the, the industry because healthcare is very complex already. Regulation, change of behavior, human beings. We are complex as human beings and uh, wearables bring another layer of, of complexity. But I would like to share with the audience and with you guys, I've done a 195 pages report on health wearables and we come up with some device related barriers, which, and we've done interviews online and also face-to-face. -face. Interoperability is a big, big barrier. Even though now every technology has got open APIs, you connect and get transferred the data, but interoperability seems to be the big one in terms of device related barrier and then we have battery issues and comfortable devices they bulky lack of personalization because when manufacturers have a wearable they manufacture in bulk they cannot personalize for your needs and for my needs and the lack of support and direction you sell a wearable you get the guide of instructions but then and so on that's why for example Fitbit before they were sold to Google, they bought a coaching company because it's not just about the wearable and the technology, it's much more than that. The change of behavior, the sending people notifications, engaging them. On the other hand, I would like to share with you some user-related barriers. The lack of intrinsic motivation. We need to ask ourselves as a human being, why am I asked, why am I using a wearable? Okay, if you have a long-term health condition such as diabetes, you need to have a device you need to get your insulin levels up up, up there and and everything but what about for example some people are interested in sport okay you get the garmin you go your triathlons you track your cycling what what is the reason oh, i want to lose weight okay great personally i'm not interested in my steps anymore i've done that in 2018 17 19 now i'm interested in my sleep data okay i got a great wearable for sleep 
your motivation is what's going to determine your engagement with the wearable. And the more you interact, the more you get out of it. And then there are privacy, security concerns. Also, someone in the chat already mentioned, what about the privacy? What about the implantables? What about if someone steals your wearable, got your data, your Apple Pay, all this stuff that is, we are exposed as human beings, you know? And uh, someone brought a while ago, what about wearables they can be like the the big brother you know what's going on but google know what's going on i log in from uk i'm certain hours online i sleep at night i mean our 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 lives can be very very easily tracked personally i'm not worried about my off data but i mean everyone is different but also human errors forgetfulness how many times i left my a Fitbit on the top of the fridge, forgot to charge it. And you 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 break your pattern. It's like going to the gym. You go to the gym three or four times a week when you miss and it's harder to go back. And also with terms of wearables, no usage, no data, no data, no value. It's all about the engagement, you know, and losing the device and the sense of no value. A lot of people stop using wearables probably around 50% within the first six months because they don't get the point. What am I getting out of this? But actually, they should be the other way around. What am I putting into this? It's like a relationship, but with the technology. Oh, what is my my relationship with my with my wearable? What am I what are my efforts? So it's it's a it's a very fragmented dynamic. We could talk about this for hours. I'm gonna stop there now. And let others um, uh, give well, that. That's an interesting uh, insight. What's the relationship you have with your wearable? I never thought of that before. But I guess if you keep upgrading the software, uh, then you keep adding utility. And uh, so let's bounce to David. Uh, David, talk to us a little bit about the haptics industry. What's the size? What are the challenges, opportunities? What is mass adoption uh, in your industry like? Just put some perspective on the applications as well of the technology. Please, over to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I can relate to uh, what Joe is, Joe is saying. Um, we have lots of those problems when designing and creating our product. Um, yeah, uh, where do I start? So really in terms of the segment size of our industry very hard to quantify to be honest with you um i guess you'd take the vr market and say out of everybody in vr yeah how many of those people are training how many of those people's trainings require them to use their hands and then those kinds of people we would then segment as potential customers for haptics so that's kind of an idea of how we would then say or how we would look at a potential customer um, are they using virtual reality? Is there virtual reality training using their hands? If so, can they then afford our product? And then we would probably go and look at speaking with them. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, like all of those problems uh, are things that we're trying to come up with solutions for. Uh, personal, personalized, um, yeah, personalized gloves are what people want, but <laughs> yeah putting them in pink and yellow and having company logos printed on them is very very expensive and i think one of the reasons for mass adoption not taking off is one on the technology side where people have this idea of what they want touch to feel like inside virtual reality or what they want virtual reality to look like 
And I, I think a lot of the time it doesn't actually meet people's expectation. And I think a lot of it comes down to what people want and where the technology is, is one of the reasons why mass adoption isn't flying at the moment. Um, but yeah, as, as the technology moves forward, I'm, as I'm sure it, it will get better. Um, in terms of our scope of people, um, as I said, VR training, but most of the, uh, yeah, sorry, most of the people we look into are like industrial, industrial training, aerospace, military, defense, that kind of training, uh, maintenance training, people that have to use their hands on a regular basis. Um, and yeah, skilled training, uh, like in medical aspects is something that I think we have to be careful um training people on because of the accuracy um anything that could be risking somebody's life you know you have to tread super carefully in healthcare um so for those ones yeah it's really down to the researchers to to see what what what's about and and what's uh yeah usable i guess right and also david i'm curious to know how do you sell your products is it through a website or Retailers, distributors. We we have um, yeah resellers all across the world. So on our website, you can find them uh, all across Europe, in China, uh, Japan, Australia, America, globally. Um, we sell via the website, um, but normally people have lots of questions first, um, and then they would normally yeah send us a purchase order. And again, out of curiosity, which parts of the world you're getting maximum traction? So the US is probably our biggest market at the moment. Then it would be China, Japan, and then Germany in a close fourth. And then after that, it's super sporadic across uh, the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. Right. And your training guides are multilingual? Um, at the moment, no, they're not. So like all of our guides are in English. Um, right. But thanks to ChatGPT, you can just right, you can give you the information and you can just uh, get it in sure. pretty much whatever language you like. In a jiffy, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Alistair, your chance. Uh, talk to us, uh, you know, what, what's, what's uh, new from your side? What are you working on right now? And bring us up to speed. I mean, um, I'm sure our audience wants to know uh, when your first products will be commercially available? Well, um, all depends on ad other factors and that not depending only on me. We are looking for a research department to bring it in a, another step because we actually have a, reached out a um, great um, goal in the last months with experiments and uh, trials, uh, uh, coding, uh, neural network that's working well. So it's a great moment for the technology because as probably I didn't said before, like in the studying the, the smells have been a lack of literature, literature studies that's trying to combine uh, the chemical and the neuron, neuronal information neural information so uh part of the job in researching was literally literally um uh, discover a, a land of no one like a dark uh, room and you just trying to uh, see what's the light uh, 
bring you. But uh, yeah, we are in a pivotal point and depends on the next months. Probably in six months, we will open the chance to have a clinical trials. So also, um, who is interested to try it, let's keep in touch and don't hesitate to um, contact me. Uh, the last experiments that I think is really interesting is that we are, when we interfacing with the olfactory neurons, we are going in a brain area, the limbic system that is decides the room of memories, emotion, and the perception of time as well. So we have been studied probably that storytelling based on sense could track the change in perceived the time, the uh, yeah the, the time that go on differently in order to um, the sense that are you stimulating. So it's incredible because you can really touch some uh, crucial question that humanity have ever asked to their self. And yeah, but for sure it's the implication necessitate a careful ethical consideration and probably balance, balance, try to balance the vast potential benefits to the necessary safeguards of what we are building and ask to ourselves what is good to sacrifice and what not for really having a symbiotic relationship with this device and yeah thanks uh, alistair there's a question for you in the comments from peter Coleman's. i know he's from saudi arabia he, he wants to know if he can get a copy of your presentation on your website so please uh, answer him. also in the q a yeah. tab there's a question for you alistair i think uh, somebody wants to know about the scent index how many scents are there from what I remember, you told me there are 50,000 known smells. Am I right? Is, is that the figure? Actually, the average is way more open. Okay. Uh, the, but yes, with 10,000 of smells, you can really play well with a wide spectrum of uh, smell perception. So we are starting with them and trying to, from that uh, track as a fil rouge in death brain areas to not just be related to smells, but also try to expand the research on memories uh, and uh, oh, and okay. time perception and so on. I think I understand what you're saying. In other words, what he told me once was lavender is not lavender. It can be different uh, shades of lavender in terms of smell. All right. So there's also a question by Fawad Nuri. This, I think, should go to Beth. It talks about uh, fashion sustainability and metaverse technology, how do they fit in? Beth, you want to take that? Of course. So um, I think that, well, firstly, the metaverse and virtual worlds provide a whole host of data on those using it. So imagine you're walking through a virtual store, jewelry, shoes, clothing, fashion, whatever it is. Um, the company at the back end can see exactly where you're moving what clothes you've clicked on, what you've spun around. They've also got your account data so they can see what you're buying, what you're returning, that type of thing. And I think from a sustainability point of view, and if you put it into the context of reducing returns and reducing the kind of fast fashion element of it, um, 
the data enables brands to manage products, product, product management behind the scenes, store management, stock management, that type of thing far better. So in terms of um, producing the right number of products um, and I guess inventory management so that there's no kind of overstock or out of stock products, um, obviously that, that kind of aids in sustainability, but also the, I think there's another thing I'd like to touch on. So imagine you're in one of these virtual stores and it's personalized. So your account data says that you always buy a t-shirt in medium in white, right? So they're going to show you maybe some more products similar to that, that you might like, but also they're going to show you some jeans that might complement products you've previously bought. Now, um, one thing that a lot of, a lot of people do is they buy a t-shirt for one pair of jeans. So they'll buy an outfit or, or t-shirt, whatever, that goes into one outfit. So they can wear it, they wear it twice a year, right? There isn't really any emotional attachment to that product because it only goes with one pair of jeans they own and um, the chance of it getting thrown away after one use is very high. So uh, there are some tech um, integrations into the metaverse, virtual spaces, virtual worlds that enable the, the brand to suggest complementary products. And so almost, I guess it's an upsell opportunity for the brand, but it's also really helpful for the consumer that I don't know what products are going to go with it well, right? So it's going to suggest other complementary products. You end up buying a whole outfit and now you can wear that, that product 50 times the number of times you would have done without it. And I think there, there are lots of different elements as well because you I mean you can talk about the fact you can change inventory in a virtual space much quicker and cheaper and there's far less resources than you would in a physical store so I think I think there's a lot to tap into I probably don't have 50 20 minutes to kind of describe it to you but I definitely think that virtual worlds virtual spaces and the metaverse are all enhancing brand sustainability efforts um, some processes are going to take longer than others to implement but the general direction is a more sustainable future. Yeah, and if I may add to that, because I also wear a hat where I'm part of the Metaverse Fashion Council, and we did a study and found that most of the fashion brands sell only 50% of their inventory during a season. The rest of it is liquidated, you know, or uh, goes to landfills, which is even worse. And the other important thing to note is that uh, in Web3, the power is shifting from the big brands to we the people. So you and I can decide, even today, you can go to Nike website and create your own shoe, right? Customized shoe in terms of look, feel, your uh, whatever your abbreviations out there, choose the fabric. So already uh, we can decide what we wear, which means less of it will go to waste because brands don't necessarily have to mass, uh, you know, create products and then have unsold inventory. They just create according to what people need. So that also creates a sustainable environment. So I think sustainability and technology nicely dovetail and uh, all brands have to fall in line uh, with their sustainability uh, pledges. Okay, uh, Jean, there's a question. I don't know if it's for you or for David in the tab. Oh, it's disappeared now. But there, yeah, there is one from Alec Johari. Yeah, he's one of our Web3 uh, active community members. And he wants to know when do we see a convergence of uh, different variables for touch, smell, and movement coming together? That's an interesting question. How do you bring it all together? Very quickly, and then I'll pass the ball to Alistair because he can probably add more than me in there. But 
wearables, of course, collect data, are an excellent vehicle for uh, analyzing data, bringing data, capture data. Uh, and we see a lot of data now, environmental data, movement, behavioral data, but now adding on to that, the touch, the smell and everything. So is 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 very is a huge potential in terms of blending everything together, the human behavior, the environment, the technology, what is already built. So I'll let Alistair add these two cents in here. Alistair. Go ahead, Alistair. You want to add something? Um, yeah, let's. Yeah, but I think it's also important. For example, imagine uh, reading, imagine walking through a tulip garden, smelling, touching, and feeling the flower, the flowers. I think right now I'm thinking that there is several people, many people worldwide that after COVID or other injuries could not do it in a real environment. So also being able to restore it the smell capability and touch capability as well and let them walking in a garden uh, in Amsterdam and touch the tulips it could be amazing as a start and testing this technology yeah thanks it's almost closing time we have just two minutes so I'll give 30 seconds to each one of our panelists uh, we go around the room with your closing thoughts on this topic let's start with Beth Um, mind if you go to someone else, we'll have a think. Okay, uh, whoever is ready. Uh, David, are you ready? Closing thoughts. Uh, yes. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, when you add all of these things together, it has to make sense for the customer. Uh, and I don't think with all of these technologies added on together, um, at the moment, we have something that is uh, feasible. Um, but as we say, the technology is moving super quick. So hopefully there will be, you know, a walking treadmill with a suit, with gloves, with smell, with heat, water, everything um, someday soon. So that's my uh, closing thought. All right. Whoever is ready next. Uh, I, don't, I don't mind. I yeah. go next. Yeah, go ahead, Jean. To be brief. When I finish my keynotes on wearables around the world, I always finish with this note. My vision is that wearables can change the world. I never really thought about this, but the convergence of the metaverse and wearables and all the sensing technologies coming together naturally. Uh, and the metaverse is already changing the world, but I never really came to it until now. So they're my final thoughts. Thank you. Let's go to Beth. Sure. So um, I think that what this kind of tech is enabling is a more personalized and convenient experience for consumers and humans across the across the world um, in a in a in a time where immediacy and convenience is really key to getting things instantly and having things spoon fed. Pe people want these days. Um, this tech is kind of enabling that. Um, I am really keen to see the next steps in taste and scent tech. I think they are very complex tech and obviously the, the way we kind of enable it needs to be very accessible. Otherwise, people won't adopt to it, adopt the kind of, you know, the mechanisms needed to, to implement this tech. But I'm really excited for the future. I think virtual, virtual worlds in some sh one shape or another is the way forward, whether it's, you know, it's over mass adoption might be 10 years away, 
but um, at least we know we're doing our bit, I guess. In the kind of 30 seconds for Alistair. Thank you, Ben. Yes, we are on the brink to the post-smartphone era, a screenless future and not necessarily on your, our face, but more surrounding us. Right. Perfect. And I know there's going to be a computer which will have no screen, no keyboard, and you will just touch on the glass of wherever you are and you can uh, do almost anything. Um, before I say the final thank yous, um, yeah, I see a lot of familiar names in the chat. I, I want to recognize uh, my Meta Shapers community, Susan Furness, Dr. Annalisa, Ashley Beck, uh, Maria, Martha Bockenfield, and my global community members, Susan Ritter and uh, Janetta Berry, and so many others. And uh, to our audience, thank you for always uh, joining our webinars. Without you, there would be no show. Uh, and my panelists, all of you, Beth, Joao, David, Alistair, thank you for all your insights. And I make close on this that I believe in transhumanism. And for those who are not familiar, transhumanism is the belief that technology can solve any problem on the planet. So stay with technology, believe in technology, and follow all of us to stay up to date with whatever is happening in this world. Uh, thank you for your time, for investing 60 minutes with us, and see you on the other side. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.